As you return to your seats, I know that we are short on bulletins. Um, look around. Look for extra bulletins. Sometimes kids take like three or four. Take them. We as a church have been going through the book of Proverbs, studying the wisdom that King Solomon wrote down for his children. And um, last week we began somewhat of a three-week part on wealth. Solomon talks about wealth a lot in his Proverbs. It's an important reality. And last week we spent time talking about pursuing wisdom, not wealth, that it's vital that wisdom is the thing that we seek rather than wealth easily turned on its head. This week we're going to look at what we do with our wealth. And then next week, we're going to spend time as how we accumulate wealth. There are all three realities that Solomon speaks on. But the church, like I said last week, is very reluctant to talk about wealth. Often is. Um, oftentimes, churches don't want to upset the people in the pews or in the seats. And it's because people look to money as a god. And the second that a pastor starts touching on that god, those pitchforks in the, in the audience start coming out. And the emails and the phone calls and the text message, more like text messages these days. The text messages, can we talk? It's like, okay, what are we talking about? Like, if I'm preaching on wealth, I know what we're talking about, um, as often the case. But I, I will say this. Uh, p- pastors haven't done themselves a favor either. They oftentimes speak about wealth in times of difficulties, when the church budget is not being met or when the, the church is not giving. And... As a result of that, a pastor will speak very harshly, um, very uh, angrily, and uh, the sermon becomes a, just, a, just one way to shame you for the ways that uh, you're living your life, and it's just not the way to do it. Uh, it. It's not. And the good news about this, for those of you that didn't hear it last week, we as a church have never been in a more healthy financial place. The church has given... Um, you guys have done such an amazing job. Last year alone, uh, we raised enough money to cover our budget from within the doors of this church. Praise be to God. And so we do not come um, to this pa- these passages this morning talking about wealth in a place of desperation, of fear. No, we come, Lord willing, with humility and hope because talking about wealth is vitally important for our lives. I'll never forget the day I met my wife. I was a young, zealous, right out of college, Christian man helping as a youth pastor. And I remember sitting in the back seat of her car that, that very night talking to her and her friends about, no, 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 not, no, no. Hey, we had just met, all right? We had just met. Hey, I'm back seat of the car. Hey, hey. Okay, okay. My word. Hey, we know where your mind is this morning, okay? We know, yeah. Hey, I was in the back seat of her car, <laughs> and she was driving, <laughs> and I was talking about wealth with them, and I, uh, okay, now it's done, it's, uh, let's just get into God's word, okay? <laughs> so we're going to talk about stewarding our wealth. I'm not even going to go down that store anymore. Uh, you have before you in your bulletins the passages of scripture we're going to look at. There's several. I'll just read them and then uh, give you the source. Let's just do it, all right? You know what? We're going to do this. We're going to pray. (laughs) We're going to pray. All right, gracious Lord, we come 
um, to your word this morning. Some of us, not knowing what to expect, we're okay, whatever. But some of us are hungry. We're hungry that, uh, to be fed by your word. Uh, those that are not you know, kind of indifferent, and those that are hungry, Lord, would you satisfy us through your word? More than anything, would your spirit enlighten in our lives the ways that we have looked to wealth rather than to you for our life? May we be honest with ourselves and take a look at the wealth that we have that we might indeed steward it so that the wealth doesn't steward us. Lord, would you be gracious to us that you would be glorified and that we, your people, would experience life? Amen. Proverbs, several Proverbs on stewarding wealth. First, Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 21, 17. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Proverbs 30, 24, 25. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Proverbs 21, 20. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 22, 9. Glenn Curlander, who is the managing director of Morgan Stanley's Wealth Management Office, wrote an article titled, Opening Pandora's Box, 10 Rules for Talking to Your Kids About Money. Now, this is a helpful article that I'm trying to put into practice and trying to digest so that I can wisely talk to my kids about money. But there was one of the rules that he gave in this article that really stood out to me, and it came from rule number three. And rule number three is talk, talk, and talk some more about it. He says, the one topic that still causes discomfort and unease in many families is money. Politics, drugs, even sex are now openly discussed in family circles, but money is still too delicate an issue for many families. Talking about money makes many of us feel embarrassed, guilty, even shameful. But when we let money become taboo, we're not living up to our responsibilities to prepare and educate. So talk about money. It's the same thing for all of us. Here's the thing about money. Money dictates so much of our lives, literally almost every moment of our day. You need money to get into <laughs> your car and drive your car to church. It affects everything. 
And it is so easy for, to allow our money and our wealth to then therefore dictate our life. And so we have to talk about money with our kids. And I think that that's a, a very wise thing. We've got to talk about money. But we don't talk about money. Did you know that wealth issues are the second leading cause for divorce in our country? You know, marital fights arise because they're not talking about money, about what to do with it, about what to do with their wealth. And by the times that these issues arise, it's often too late for change, and the marriage ends because, simply put, conversations were not had that led to productive and healthy financial situations. And this applies to all of our lives. I know that I can relate to this, and I'm sure you can too, that you felt the tightening of your chest when you see a low balance in your bank account, or that you've made a purchase that maybe you couldn't afford, but you made the purchase anyway, and your head is spinning because you're going, how am I going to pay for this? With this in mind, it is so easy to think that wealth can easily control us, ruin us, separate us, and we're not even talking about it. Wealth can easily control us and ruin us, so we've got to talk about it. And of course, the book of Proverbs contains a plethora of wisdom on wealth, on stewarding our wealth, on what we are called to do with our wealth. In fact, when we consider all that was written in the book about wealth, it's obvious that this is probably the most important subject outside of marriage and humility and the fear of the Lord. It's an incredibly important topic to Solomon as he informs his children on wealth. We've got we've to follow it. So how do we talk about it? How do, we, how do we steward our wealth so that our wealth doesn't steward us, doesn't ruin us, destroy us? Solomon proposes this, a framework for talking about wealth. I think what, if we were to think about how he, he talks about it, there's three different categories. Spend some, save some, and give a lot. Spend some, save some, give a lot. This is the wisdom that Solomon is imparting to his kids and also to us. And so this morning, I want to look at these three different framework categories that Solomon gives to us that we might steward our wealth so that our wealth doesn't steward us. So first, spend some. Now, just like we are given a framework, Solomon's not sitting us down and saying, this is what you're supposed to do with your money. He just gives us all these different wise sayings. The same thing could be applied to the way we think about spending money. It's a framework more than it is, this is what you should buy and this is what you should not buy. It's a framework. And so the first proverb we're going to look at is Proverb 37 through 9. Look with me once again. This is a prayer. And these are not the words of Solomon. They're actually the words of a man named Agur, A-G-U-R. And it is the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. But Solomon deemed it to be wise to put it in there. And look at what Agur is saying. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not before me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I mean, we, we've got a sermon in this phrase just alone. But I want you to capture what the prayer is getting at. Neither poverty or riches, feed me with the food that is needed. You know, don't go buy anything and everything that you want, nor is it go sell everything you own. This is a prayer of moderation. It is a plea that we would be moderate in how we live our lives, 
of how we spend our money. You know, when we have had more than we need, isn't it easy to relate to this that we can forget God? This is why Jesus said it is harder for a rich man to go through the, into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why does Jesus say this? Because the rich don't recognize their need. I got all that I need. Money is my salvation. I have no need for God. We need God in order to get to heaven. We need God to get God. And our wealth can get in the way. So give me not riches, he says, lest I forget God. But at the same time, he also says, let me not be poor, lest I curse God in stealing. Those who are poor, and this is really important for us to understand, those who are poor are just as apt at idolizing money as the rich are. You know that, right? The poor can spend a lot of their time going, money's going to be my salvation. Money's going to be the very thing that gets me out of the mess that I'm in right now. It's the same heart as the rich. Money is my salvation. Money's going to get me the next best thing. And so, this is wrong as well. So moderation. We don't spend it on anything we want lest we forget God, nor do we sell everything off and be in need and be tempted to steal and be prone to the same idolatry as the rich. No, we spend in moderation. Look, we all have needs, and God has provided us with wealth to meet those needs. So meet those needs. Be moderate. Don't buy something just because you can Consider what it's doing to you. Consider what it's doing to the soul of your kids. Is it setting them up to not need God? Is it setting them up to say, uh, to curse God? Be moderate. So Solomon gives to us a, a proverb to help us think about spending in moderation. But there's a second part to this, the second framework, and it comes from Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Here we have kind of a, a further um, dressing of moderation. He's telling us to look at how we're, we're spending. But in particular, he's telling us to look at uh, the pleasure and the finer things in life that we have a propensity to think that it's going to satisfy us. See, when people pursue pleasure as an end in itself, they're dethroning God. The very one who gives them the wealth. And in a consumeristic culture, we can easily be tempted to believe that what we buy will bring us relief and comfort and joy. Just look at a commercial on television, and you will always see smiling faces and happy people doing things that this product's going to be the best thing for you. And, and now there's some, I know there's some pharmaceutical reps or former pharmaceutical reps. There are some weird pharmaceutical commercials. Like, you're like, oh, this is going to give you life, and you're going to have happy, and you're like, we're talking about, we're talking about, um, you know, just something silly like uh, psoriasis, or I, I don't know, that could be a really serious thing, but it's like, how can psoriasis of the liver lead to a happy life jumping off a dock into lakes? Like, what? doesn't make sense. It's, it's weird, though. We think in this culture that, that material possessions will give us life. 
And, and what Proverbs 21, 17 kind of reminds us is not that finer things are, are, are bad. No, they're, they're fine. It's when we put them at the heart of us that it will actually make us poor. Pursue the finer things in life as an end in themselves, and you will indeed be poor. That lavish vacation that you thought was going to be the result of all, uh, it was going to solve all your problems, you'll come back and next summer you're ready to go on another lavish vacation. And so on, and so on, and so on. That car will lose its new car smell, and you're going to ready for that new car smell again. You keep going into that, and you will be poor. So here's, I think, a principle as we think about spending based off of Proverbs 21, 17. That when you spend your money, your wealth, spend it with an acknowledgement of where your salvation comes from. Where your help and your relief and your joy truly comes from. It comes from God. I mean, some of the best meals of my life have been some of the finest dinings. But when they are done... With just, you know, just, I'm just spending and eating another meal. It's not that good. But when you're done with great thankfulness in your heart, it's a, it's a meal to remember, isn't it? So spend your money in moderation and spend it with an acknowledgement of where your salvation and your hope and your help and your relief truly comes from. Solomon tells us to spend some of our money. But secondly, his wisdom not only is to spend some of our money, but to save some of our money. Look at Proverbs 30, 24, and 25. Solomon here draws our attention to the ant. And this is one of two occurrences in his book that he does this. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Now, he doesn't get prescriptive to us about what it means that we need to save our money and what it looks like for us to save our money. But it is obvious that he tells us it is wise to save our money. Consider Joseph, when he came into power in Egypt, you might remember how he came to power. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream of a long famine that was about to incur on the Egyptians. And, and, and Pharaoh looked at him and said, will you store up grain for us to have during these years? He did, and he, and he rose to power. It's wise to save for seasons of need. It is wise, just like the ant, to save up. So the question for us is, how are we saving for our future? Are you putting money away for seasons of difficulty? At the, at the advice of financial gurus, not Solomon, Kimberly and I have decided to put away three months of our monthly expenses to be available at us at any time. If we get into a pinch, if we get into a bind, we're going to save that money so that three months we can figure out how I can make more money and get and accumulate wealth. How are you thinking about saving money? Like the ant, you should be wise in doing this. But if saving is difficult for you, then I want you to consider the second proverb Solomon provides to us in regards to saving. I think it can expose some of our heart issues that make it difficult for us to save. Proverbs 21, 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Why are some of us reluctant to save? It's because we spend it on the present. We are people who prefer instant gratification. I want it now. And in a social media culture that we all live in, that instant gratification is rewiring our brain. 
And we don't think, I need to spend or save, excuse me, save for another time. I, I think what it does, if anything, it exposes the, the, the idea that we're somehow invincible. That there will be money down the road. <laughs> that somehow we'll, we'll be able to make money so we don't save. I will buy that. Why not? We'll, we'll go into debt. Why not? We, not thinking that we could lose our job. Not thinking that the stock market could tank and now we're, we're left without any ability to make money. It becomes a heart issue. A heart issue that exposes the truth that oftentimes we think we're invincible, we're bigger than we are, and we want to spend it with what we have. You know who Violet Beauregard is? You might know who Violet Beauregard is. She was a snooty little brat who always got what she wanted, when she wanted. Now, one day she was lucky enough to get a golden ticket. Now, her dad bought the golden ticket, and she was able to enter into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Now, when Wonka walked her through a section of his factory that made gum, she cried to her dad, I want it, I want it now. Of course, Wonka advised her to not take it right now, but her inability to wait ended up turning into her, her into, do you remember this? A blueberry. <laughs> That's right. A fitting illustration of what happens to us when we spend it on instant gratification. <laughs> a blueberry. I mean, that, that, that memory will stick into a child's mind. It's still in my mind big time. I want it to stick in your mind. Do not do not consume the oil that is in your house right now on that which is available to you right now. Consider saving. Life is not guaranteed us tomorrow. Your job is not guaranteed tomorrow. And therefore, it is wise to save some for those moments. So Solomon commends us to spend some. He commends us to save some for moments of difficulty in moments of, oh, I got to say this. Okay, hold on. I got to say this. this is application. There are young couples in here, and you have young children, and I know that you desire for them to have a good education. And I'm not, this is not a knock on public education, but there are some in here that, like, I want to send my kids to a Christian school. Let me tell you something. It is not cheap. So you need to begin saving now if you want to send them to a Christian education. To get a Christian education, start saving now. Save so that you can send them to a place where they're going to hear the word of God each and every day. To those of you who are in your 30s, you, know, you might be renting right now. Um, you, you don't own. It's better to start saving for a down payment on a house. For those of you that are not married, are single, it's probably wise to start putting money aside for a wedding ring. Because that ain't cheap. It's probably wise to start saving money for a car. They break down. They deteriorate. They fall apart. These things are not cheap. And if we save, we're going to be able to utilize these gifts that God has given to us that we might live. So, okay, spend some, save some. Um, these are ways that Pro Solomon gives us, or, you know, ways for us to steward our spending and saving, steward our wealth and resources so that they don't steward us. But there's one last aspect of stewardship that Solomon points us that our wealth might not steward off, and that is to give a lot. To give a lot. Spend some, save some, 
give a lot. If there's one prominent theme of stewardship, it is that. Give a lot. Uh, These are just a sampling of the passages that Solomon commends to us to give away our resources. Give away, give away, give away, give away. But I'm just going to touch on these. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We have to come to this realization that all that we have is a result of God's kindness and his generosity. And simply giving back to the Lord what is ours, our first fruits, is a way to honor God. It's a way to recognize that he's the one that has given me all of these things. Yes, money is our modern day idol. There are temples built for it all around our world. People worship at its steps, look to it for security, look to it for comfort, look to it for pleasure. But ultimately, wealth is not a God. It is a gift of God. And so honoring the Lord with our wealth keeps this in perspective. Historically, the church has encouraged its people to give a tithe or 10% of their earnings back to the church. And I don't believe personally that this is a law that God requires his people to follow strictly I do think it is a good rule of thumb for us to follow. To give 10% of what we have made back to God. That being said, I believe the Bible also calls us to something greater than 10%. If anything, it's greater. Give a lot. Um. Secondly, give a lot, honor the Lord with your wealth. Secondly, consider Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds that he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The one who trusts the Lord will give and give and give. They will give to their church, but they will give elsewhere. Where do we give as people of God? Where do we give? Back to the Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. So we give to the poor and to the needy. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 22, 9. Who do we give to? We give to our church, but we give to the poor, those who are needy. Give to the poor. Honor the Lord with your wealth by giving to the church, giving to the poor. On the corner of University and Cantrell, not far from here, there was a man recently who was holding up a sign that quoted Proverbs 19.17. And uh, if, you, if you recall, Proverbs 19.17 is, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. He then held up another sign with another Proverbs talking about, you know, give to me. And I wanted to look at him and be like, there's a lot of also Proverbs that says work for your wealth too, buddy. So this caused a lot of problem in my own heart. Because there's this reality with poor as we face it. That, you know what? They need to get a job. I'm not going to give to the poor. They are capable of getting a job. But that's not always the reality. Not every poor person that we encounter, if we're reluctant to give to the poor, not every poor person that we encounter is poor because they choose to be. Or they're lazy. There are issues of injustice. There are issues that are, that are far more complicated. Whether it be... Um, you know, falsely accused of, of, of wrongful doing in a job, being hired as a former felon, whatever it might be, there are matters of injustice that are put onto people. And these people are, are, are they're trying. 
And as a church, we need to help them. Give to the poor. Now, of course, there are some, some that, you know, gain, gain the system. And that's not good. That's not good. And so we need to be wise with where we give. So where do we give to the poor? Well, I think there's a lot of ways we can do this. There's a lot of great organizations here in town. Do your due diligence on those organizations to figure out, hey, how, how are these organizations seeking to help those that are poor? Um, one of the things that I've been inspired by of late is something Gabriel used to be a part of, New City Kids over in Jersey City, New Jersey. And Gabriel has a huge heart for bringing this New City Kids here to Little Rock. And it's an opportunity to help those who don't have the opportunity, and I'm butchering this, Gabriel, sorry, you, we're going we're gonna to be leaning into this a lot more, but it's helping the poor, those who don't have the resources, and it's equipping them with more than just money in their pockets. It's a wealth of wisdom and encouragement and life. And it is my hope and prayer and like a vision of mine that I can help Gabriel and, um, and others, and this church can help get new city kids here in Little Rock to get the poor resources that we have, but not do it in a kind of ungodly, like we're God, and it's gross. But to give, to give to God and to give to the poor, what we see more than anything in this Proverbs is that it is actually really good for us. Did you notice as I'm reading the Proverbs how often it's saying, you will be blessed, you will be blessed, you will be blessed? I mean, there's a constant theme that when you give, you will get. Now, it might not be you get resources. That's a temptation that we might have. Like, if you give, well, then you're going to get more. Uh, there have been a lot of preachers in the past that have, have, have said, if you give to us, then you're going to have thousands of dollars in your, in your uh, checking account next week. And then they have people lined up the stories of that, how that's happened. I don't think that that's exactly what Solomon is saying. The blessing is not financial. The blessing is a more rich encounter with God. Now, I'm going to go back to the back seat of that car, okay? Uh, <laughs> She's in the front seat, folks, okay? But I remember telling um, Kimberly and her friends who were in the car in a very zealous place in my life that the biggest problem in the church is the way it deals with wealth. The greatest hindrance to your life and to my life is our wealth. And looking to it and saying, you are God. You are my comfort. You are my salvation. This is not true. And we might know that intellectually, but we don't believe that psychologically. Our ability to experience the love of God, and I mean that, experience, not receive, experience. Our, our, our ability to experience the presence of God in our life is deeply connected to our ability to handle our wealth. And I said this in the car, and I still stand by it today, even though I struggle to practice it. If we get that figured out, I think we see revival. I mean, I think people will come to life, be willing to give up their life for the Lord, because he is their salvation. He is our hope. He is our life. This is what giving does to us. It reminds us what is really, truly valuable. And that is a blessing. Do we believe that? I hope we do.
I hope we believe that to give is to get, and it's to get God. Last summer, I was gifted a large container of golf balls that I didn't need by a sweet old 94-year-old woman. She collects them on her way home from the gym every morning as she walks the golf course. Having no need of them, and yes, I have no need of them because I play a specific golf ball, okay, mind you. (laughs) Having no need of them, I told my kids, why don't you sell these golf balls on the road like a lemonade stand? I thought it would be a great opportunity for them to learn some wealth principles. Of course, my kids were fascinated by this idea and the potential for wealth, so they jumped right into the adventure. To start, I took them to the store to purchase poster boards and other items that they would need to advertise their golf balls to passing cars. Of course, when we came home, we drew on these poster boards and set up shop right in front of our house. Now, we talked about inventory and pricing and salesmanship, customer service, and so much more. What great lessons for them. Now, being so cute, they are really cute. Sales started coming. And we're talking, we're talking old ladies who have never touched a golf club in their life. <laughs> They're buying golf clubs. And after each sale, my kids could hardly contain their excitement. They understood that after each sale, it increased their ability to purchase what they wanted. And so during the slow times, they began dreaming about watches and toys that they could get at Target. And I was fine with that. I mean, you got to spend some. But then, and I think, Benjamin, I think you said this, and maybe I could be wrong. But I think Benjamin looked at me and said, you think I could get a hoverboard with this money? (laughs) And I said, "Mm, we're probably not going to sell enough to get a hoverboard. So you got to save some of it. Now, I love my son because he is someone who does not lean into instant gratification. He's a boy. He's eight years old. That leans into delayed gratification. That's a great attribute to have. He doesn't consume all that he has. He's willing to save. And I said, you save some, and you one day can get the hoverboard. But as we closed up shop, as we packed everything up and put it in the wagon and put it back into our garage, this proud dad had one final lesson to teach them, and it was about giving. And I looked at them, and I said, you know, you could spend some, you can save some, but you got to give some too. Now, the look on their face is an unforgettable face. It was, a, it was a look of panic, fear, anger, frustration. You got, we got to do what? You got, we got to give? Yes, we got to give. And so I talked about how as a family we begin by giving 10% of what we earn to the church. Slowly but surely they came around to it. They came around to the idea you got to spend some, save some, and give a lot. This is the wisdom that Solomon imparts to us that I sought to impart to the kids in my own house. And it is my hope that you follow suit, follow the wisdom that the Lord has provided us in his Proverbs so that we would steward our wealth wisely so that our wealth doesn't steward us. Our wealth can bring us to ruin, but when we steward wisely, We will be considered blessed. May we as people of God trust him, rely on him, that he'll be faithful to his words, that we will indeed be blessed when we give, save, and spend. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for making this word possible. 
It is true that so many of us, so many of us are reluctant to give up our wealth. We look to it for salvation. But you are our Savior. You are our God. And so as we remember this and lean into that reality, may we then act appropriately, spending in moderation, saving for difficult times, times that are not necessarily guaranteed us, and give a lot to the church and to the poor. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.